I'm going to begin by reading out of Matthew chapter 5, and just let you know that uh, today, probably for the next two or three weeks, I'm going to be out of our normal Matthew um, series uh, dealing with, today I want to deal with thoughts surrounding fathers, and, and then we'll deal with a couple of other things over the next couple of weeks, Lord willing, if the Lord keeps pressing me in that direction, I believe it's Him that's pressing me in the direction that we'll be going, but uh, and let me also say this, that as you listen to the message today, keep in mind that I can't say everything in one message that covers everything. And so there may be things that are said and you think uh, there may be a yeah, but in your mind. Yeah, but you know how that goes, because some of you are full in your minds of various thoughts and theological perspectives. And so I would just encourage you to not think that I'm um, not saying something just because I don't verbalize it. Okay, so I'm saying the things I'm saying in the context of this message and saying it in the context of the time frame that we have. Otherwise, we would be here a long time if I had to always throw a caveat out with everything that is said. So, so keep that in mind as well. Okay, and so with that, we'll, we'll move forward. I do want to deal with imitating, the idea of imitating our perfect Father. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to the end of the chapter. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be the sons of your father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what Do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. So you can see where the, where the impetus for this, these thoughts are coming from. At least we're starting here in verse 48. Therefore, you shall be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, just quoting a few thoughts from those verses. In the beginning, God created. And he said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. So God created man in his own image. Male and female created he them, or he created them. And as we've been reminded recently, God is, and I say reminded because it's not new, but it's a reminder, and it's something that we do need to think about, and I think, I would say think about regularly because of the way it is expressed in God's Word, especially as we come to the New Testament. But God is Father, Son, and Spirit, or Holy Spirit. And this God, who is life and love, created humankind in His likeness. So God created male and female to have the fundamental capacity to live and love. And to produce life and to love. Not only to live and love, but to produce life and to love. And so Genesis 1.28 says, Then God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And the only way that that was possible is if God placed within them this capacity in the creation. And he did that, and that is part of the likeness, the image of God 
that is placed within mankind, male and female. Of course, we know what happened next. By one man, sin entered the world and death by sin. So mankind in Adam turned away from life and turned away from love to follow the voice of ego, rebellion and death. And of course, uh, the wrath of God then hung over humanity because because God is love. And God cannot allow that which is contrary to himself to continue, right? And of course, you know, the whole rest of the the story, the, the history of redemption is the outworking of a way in which that wrath could be dealt with. And it was dealt with on the cross for those for whom Christ died. But from the beginning, we, humanity, we lost the clear sense of this image of God. And one of the consequences of that of, of that fall is the loss of clarity regarding men being fathers. We saw that in the in the lesson this morning. And complications and confusion of sin continues to impact human relationships. So that there's no perfect father and and some struggle deeply with any happy thoughts regarding father. I'm talking about the word father. When the word father comes to your mind, it doesn't necessarily conjure up happy thoughts, especially when you anchor those thoughts in your own experience in relationship to your own father, earthly father. So it's important that our thoughts of God as father not be controlled by our thoughts of our own earthly father. At best, the most faithful and loving father has flaws and will come up short. I don't know where it was in my own children's life, but at some point, at some point, they came to realize that dad wasn't all they thought he was. He had, what do you call it, chinks in his armor. He's like, wow, he, he isn't perfect. Well, let me just throw this parentheses there. I'm afraid, though, that the image that I projected to them was that I was. That's just a parenthetical thought. You don't want to do that, fathers. Racing ahead of myself here a little bit, maybe, but you don't want to do that because you're not. At best, we have flaws. And and let me just say this as well, that I, I love and honor my father. And I'm looking forward to sitting down in the living room with him this next week as he sits in his lazy boy. And, uh, you know, he's got his physical problems, but his God has blessed him that his mind is still sharp. And and I talked to him yesterday and 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 I enjoy being with him. But it's not because he's perfect, because he's not never was, never will be this side of heaven, even with all of his flaws, though I love him and I and I honor him. But our our Heavenly Father, He has no flaws. He is perfect. God is Father. And He's Father eternally. And I'm not going to go deep here with these concepts, but there's more than one way that you can view the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in one way is in the very being or essence of God, and that is eternal. And there's a big word that theologians use. It's called the ontological Trinity. And that is simply, that's who He is. Before there was everything, before there was ever anything else, there was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is Father eternally. Without anything else being made. Without anything outside of Himself. But of course in the we can talk about what existed in the mind of God. That also is eternal, isn't it? And that was worked out in time. And so God is Father in relation to mankind. And especially in relation to His adopted children. Theologians call that the economic trinity. And that is God working out who He is in relationship to what He has made. The Scriptures tell us that He is the Father of spirits. Hebrews 12 and verse 9. Number 16 and verse 22, we're told that He's the God of the spirits of all flesh, not just Christians. 
Now, in this sense, as Creator, He is Father to all mankind. He is caring, He's providing, He's sustaining, He's preventing even judgment. All of that is a reflection of Him as Father in relationship to all of His creatures made in His image. But, oh, brethren, He is uniquely Father in relation to all who are in His Son. He sees us in His Son, and, and by adoption, He calls us His children. He does. We heard that last hour. He calls us His children. Giving to us the spirit of adoption so that we know Him. We know Him. Listen, this is one of the marks of regeneration. I'm convinced Romans chapter 8 one of the marks that you are born again, one of the marks that you have, that you know God as your Father in this way, is that you have His Spirit in you, moving you to be able to call Him Abba. Father. This isn't just a theological concept that you talk about. It is a relationship that you know that you've entered into, and His Spirit in you has brought you into that relationship. Abba. Father, earthly fathers are not the pattern by which we evaluate our Heavenly Father. Too many people do that. And so they read about Father in the Scripture in reference to God, and they think things like, well, if He's anything like my Father, I want nothing to do with Him. And there are lots of folks who suffer. From that, even once they're born again, they, they, they're plagued with these memories and these thoughts of what it was to have a father like their father. And it's difficult for them to even speak to God as father until, until that is, you know, God graciously works the truth of himself into their souls and they're able to eventually enter in and with an endearment in their soul say, Abba, Father. So what I'm saying to you is don't evaluate God as Father by the standard of your own experience with your Father. By the way, I shouldn't do that either, even, even though my Father was a believer. I don't evaluate who God is by the standard of my Father. Nothing I say today, and children, if you're listening to me, I want you to know this. Nothing that I'm saying today is said so that your Father will be the one that you will determine who God is as Father. Even though he should be a reflection of that. We are to think of God as Father eternally in relation to his Son revealed by Jesus in the Gospels. How many times? 200, I don't know how many times, a lot of times in the Gospels, Jesus is referring to his Father and speaking of his Father. That's a distinctly New Testament revelation. It's not that he never was. It's just a distinct New Testament revelation and it's a point of emphasis. And Jesus came to manifest that to us. So we're not to, we, we, we are to think of God as Father eternally in relation to his Son. Before he, before the Son came into this world, there was this relationship and then we are to think of God as he relates to us in his son and by his spirit in us. In other words, he is our father. I think it's nine or ten out of the 13 epistles that Paul wrote. He begins with God, our father. He reminds us of that. God, our father. It's a predominant theme. If I can say that, not to reduce it to something that's just a, something we study but it's a, it's, a, it's a predominant thought or idea of that, this relationship that we have with God in Christ. So today I want to consider God, our perfect Father, as the pattern that earthly fathers should follow. Understanding there is an infinite divide, really. There's a sense in which there is no way God is God is. In a, in another realm. That's what we mean by holy. He's in another realm. We, we can't reach that perfection in our lives, but, but there is also something communicable about God. He, he does enable us to be able to take on certain aspects of His divine nature, actually. Not in the infinite sense of it. 
And so there is a sense in which we are to pattern ourselves. And so Jesus said, pattern ourselves after him as our father, as we are fathers. So Jesus says, be ye therefore perfect, even as your father, which is in heaven, is perfect. And then Luke 6.36, which I read in the opening, be therefore merciful. As fathers, be ye therefore merciful as your father also is merciful. Now, this is the application is beyond fathers, but we're talking about fathers and the way we relate to our children. So in these words that Jesus spoke, Jesus, the son is referring specifically to the relationship of God toward those created in his image. In other words, he's not talking about the relationship of the Father to the Son in eternity. He's talking about his relationship to us in time and the outworking of that eternal mind of God in time. So as born again fathers who know God as our father in Jesus Christ, we have the we have the distinct privilege. And responsibility To imitate God our Father in that finite, limited way that we're able to in relation to our children. And and when I say it it is our privilege and a responsibility, we ought to think that way. I'm given this opportunity to reflect something of the God that I know as my Father. I'm able to reflect something of that in my relationship to my children. You need to think about that. Not so that you'll be overloaded, not so that you'll be overburdened, but so that you will, in your communion with your father, you'll let him know, I want to represent you. I want to reflect you in my home. I want to reflect you in my relationship with my children so they will grow up knowing, knowing you as I know you. And so I just want to survey some thoughts here. As we think about our perfect example, and and this is not by any stretch of the imagination an exhaustive list. But I hope that it will be helpful for us to think in these terms. As we think about our father's relationship to us. Our father's relationship to his children. You and me. And the first thing is this. He openly speaks well. Of his children. He openly speaks well of his children. Do you remember when Jesus was being baptized by John? This was before he embarked on his public ministry. You know, he went into the wilderness and he was tested, and then after that, he embarked on his public ministry. Do you remember what the Father said? Of his son before he had done anything. And I realize the parallel is not exact here, but just think about this. Before he had done anything in regards to his public ministry and obedience to his father, his father said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this is how he speaks of all his created children who are united with his son. He claims us with unreserved confidence. And so that you read scripture like this in Isaiah 43, 1. But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. Well, I haven't done anything. You are mine. Jacob have I loved. When did he love? When did he set his love on Jacob? Before he'd done any good or evil. You're mine. You're mine. Malachi 3.17 They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels. This is the Lord God, our Father speaking. On the day that I make them my jewels. 
And I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. In John chapter 17, when Jesus is praying to his father, the son is speaking to the father. And you know, he's thinking here as he's approaching his father and he's speaking to his father and about eternity and, and, and what's happening in time and where this is all going. And, he, and he's including in his prayer thoughts about you and me who are his children. And he says in 17 verses 9 through 11, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours and yours are mine. And I'm glorified in them. Are you kidding me? I'm glorified in them? Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father. Holy Father does not provoke the idea of crush them, Holy Father. Holy Father, keep them. Keep them through your name. Those whom you have given me. That they may be one as we are. Verses 20 and 21. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That, that's, that's you and me who are believers. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. You see, the Father is boldly declaring His relationship to us. He calls us His children. You remember 1 John 3 and verse 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. And some of the more modern translations add this, and whether I agree with it or not, I like the I like the expression and so we are. That's not in your King James or New King James, but because it's not in the majority text. But but isn't that a tremendous thought? Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him and. You remember, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 2 reminds us that, that Jesus even said that He's not ashamed to call us brethren. Do you remember that? In Hebrews 2 and verse 11, God identifies us and claims us as His own, His children. He is our Father. Now, fathers, think about it. How do we imitate our Heavenly Father here? And I realize that there are ways in which the parallel breaks down, but do you identify? Do you identify your children with joy? Do you joy over them with singing? Do you rejoice over your children? They're your children. How do you, how do your children hear you speak of them? I'm almost afraid to ask my adult children, so what did, what did you, how did I speak about you when you were, what's your memory? And let me, let me just caution those of you who don't have adult children yet, memories, memories are really difficult. And so your children are going to remember things differently than you remember them. That's just the way it works. All right. Just like I remember things differently than my mom and dad. And that's just the way it goes. But the point is, what stands out in their minds? How do your children hear you speak of them? Do they hear you speak of them as a bother? As a chore? Well, if I, if I, if I didn't have them, what could I achieve? They're in the way. When is the last time they heard you speak positively about them? Or maybe overheard you. Even if you don't directly say to them, you're, you're speaking to someone else. You're speaking to others about them. Do they, do they hear you speak of, of them in a positive way? You understand that, that reflects our perfect Father. 
as you consider how your Father speaks of you, I want to encourage you, fathers, do that way to your own children. And it's hard for me in some ways to preach this message because I kind of have to keep my mind from reflecting. But I'm telling you, it has affected me. It has impacted me because it's never too late to do what's right. It's never too late. I don't care how old you are, how old your children are. doesn't matter. All of my, my youngest child is 20. Oh, brother. Uh, 26, I believe. 26. And I may be corrected on that one. My oldest one is 43. Right, Granny? Am I right? <laughs> 43, I believe. Um, I think he just turned 43. And I'm still their father. And I still need to relate to them in a way that I am manifesting. Especially for children or in certain conditions of life. But it doesn't really matter whether they're born again or not. You're their father. Right? So you need to think about that. Don't wait. Don't wait for your children to earn your favor before assuring them that you're thankful for them and you're glad that they are yours. You don't have to say, I'm glad you're mine, but let me give you the list of things that I'm disappointed with you in. There's a time for that. There's a time to speak about the things that need to be spoken about. But do they know that you're glad that they're your children? So he openly speaks well of his children. We need to do that as well. There needs to be that around here. We need to hear parents, fathers especially, you need to speak well of your children. I'm not talking about boastful and proud, uh, prideful kind of language. I'm just talking about speaking in positive ways. Second thing, he, he, our Father in heaven, takes note of the needs of his children and he provides for us. He takes note. He doesn't simply provide. He takes note of the needs of His children and provides for us. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 8, Therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. He knows. He's attentive to you. Chapter 6 and verse 32, Jesus said, For after all these things, 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 temporal things he's talking about. After all these things, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all. He knows that you need all these things. He knows it. And how has he taught you to pray? Give us this day our daily bread. Things are in view in these verses that which is needed for living. Have you, have you noticed? And this is in the context of what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. But have you, have you noticed how he closed the flowers of the field? Have you noticed that? I, I, I went to, you know, the botanical gardens. I went there this last week and, and it was, it's very, boy, if you get a chance to go, things are in bloom more than the last time I went. I mean, it's just, it's incredible and the colors and the variety. And I'm looking at all of this and I'm just, I'm just worshiping. You say you worship flowers? You know what I mean. No. But it stirred up within me this sense of the one who gave it. He, he's not an Amish-minded father. He's not black and white. It's not just one size fits all. That, that's not who he is. Everything is not exactly alike. And some of the things you wonder, what's that for? And why is that? And, and I don't know. And I, I ask the botanical guy there and you know there's kind of you know there's some things we just don't know but look at it and isn't this true for each of his children as well have you noticed that we're not clones have you noticed that we're not alike have you noticed that all of his provisions are not exactly alike? Have you noticed that we don't all drive the same car? Have you noticed that our houses are different? Have you noticed that our bank accounts differ? Have you noticed that our clothing is different? Have you noticed that our differences? Have you noticed that? We're not clones. 
And it seems like our Father delights to provide for us in the way that He provides for us, in the different ways that He provides for us, and even the variety. And do you, do you hear where this is going? This is true with your children. Now, if you just have one child, well, that's that's it. You know, that's what God gave you. And, and you have one child and you you don't have to think about this. But but if you have two, Jacob and Esau, you, you got some comparisons going on, don't you? They're not alike. And you, you don't have to pick one above the other. You're a father to both. You're a father to all, whether it's one or whether it's ten. Or more. So, fathers, I ask you, do you do you notice that? And some of you are going to say, yeah, believe me, I notice. And that's where my struggle is. I'd rather they be clones than they all be alike, you know. But that's not the way God designed it, is it? But do you take note of the needs of your children even before they ask? God does. Our Father does. He takes note of all the different needs that exist among us, among His children. And do you encourage your children to ask like your Father in heaven? Or does it irritate you? Uh, you say, well, you know, well, preacher, isn't there a line to be drawn? You, you understand, I'm speaking generally here. They're, they're, like I said, there's always the yeah, but stuff. But it's the pattern of your life and the pattern of your relationship with your children such that they actually feel like they can come to you and, and when they come to you, they may even hear you say, you know, son or daughter, I've noticed that. And I've been thinking about how to how to meet that need. I, I'm not sure quite yet how to do You understand that's being a father to your children like your heavenly father is you, although he's not thinking about how to how to address your needs. He knows. But do our children get the sense that you Love to provide for them. It's not a chore to you. And if I didn't have a child, I wouldn't have to work as long or hard or et cetera, et cetera. I'd have more time for myself or whatever it may be. And again, you know, there's there's a place for those thoughts. But our children need to know that we're looking. We have our limitations for sure. But your children have the sense that you really do care. That you don't want them anxious about your care and provision. They want you to be able to have confidence in them like we have confidence in our Heavenly Father. He doesn't want us anxious, does He? He says so. And so that when you speak of the care of your Heavenly Father to your children, hopefully they can see something of Him in your care for them. They should sense your interest in their physical needs. And certainly you know what the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8, But if anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever, an infidel. And that's an extreme statement there. And certainly we don't even want to come close to that. But we want more than that. We want our relationship and provision and attitude to be such that our children see that we, we actually delight in providing. And of course, if providing lesser needs like things, and things is what has been talked about in the verses that I read, things, the necessities of life, certainly if these lesser things that are fading away aren't forever, if they're important to our Father in heaven and should be for us, how much more truth and character and eternal matters of our children. And so our children should know that our greatest concern is for their eternal souls. And it's not an either or here. It's both. This is being like our father. Another, and I'll be briefer here, Lord willing. He's, he, our father in heaven, says yes to good things for his children. He says yes. He doesn't say yes to all things. We know that because all things aren't good and all things that we think are good aren't good. So sometimes we we ask for a unbeknownst to our own minds, ask for a scorpion or for a rock. Right. And thankfully, our father in heaven knows what's best for us. And he doesn't always give us what we what we ask for. 
Matthew 7 verse 11 says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, fathers, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask Him? This is our Father. This is our Father in heaven. He's generous. His mercies are abundant. Psalm 107 and verse 31 and it's, this is repeated. It's like the chorus line in Psalm 107. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. Yes, we praise Him for who He is. Yes, we, we give thanks for who He is. But we also give thanks and we praise Him for what He does. The works of God among the children of men. It is His good pleasure to give. Psalm 37 and verse 4 says, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. As you delight yourself, the desires of your heart. And of course, we, 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 you know, we, we, we take that verse and we say a whole lot of things about it, but don't miss this point that He is, He gives you the desires of your heart. When your desires line up with Him, your Father, He gives it, He delights to give to His children. So fathers, are you generous to your children? Do they anticipate that you will say no? I mean, have you said no so much to just about everything that that's what they anticipate? Or do they come to you and anticipate that you're going to say yes unless it is for their good to say no? You have reflected your father in heaven who says yes Unless there is reason that he has to say no. And you know he's doing so because he loves you. He cares for you. He's your father. And so it is as an earthly father. It should be for us. Not so be so driven by whatever we're driven by. That everything is no, 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 no. In fact, we're looking for ways to say yes to our children. Unless we see that it's something that's not going to be good for them. It's going to be harmful to them. Do you find pleasure in giving to them? That's sort of the point here that we've emphasizing again here. Just as your father has pleasure in giving to you, we need to cultivate this spirit so that we are a reflection of our father in heaven. A fourth thing, and I've only got five here, but a fourth thing. He pities his children. Our father pities us. And that word is found in Psalm 103, verses 13 and 14, as a father pities his children. So the Lord pities those who fear him. It's interesting that in this case, he begins with an earthly thought as a father pities his children. So the Lord pities those who fear him for he, our father in heaven, knows our frame. He considers it. He remembers that we are dust. And sometimes we forget that in our relationships. And there isn't the pity in us that there should be toward our children. That word pity. The understanding of that word pity is compassion. It's a a tender affection. Toward our children. It's not it's not even expressing so much what you're doing. It's expressing your attitude. You pity them. Our Heavenly Father understands the makeup of His children and He demonstrates pity, compassion toward us. And He doesn't expect of us more than we are able to handle. In fact, at one point, was it in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 or 2 Corinthians, I believe it is, He doesn't give us more than we're able to bear, right? He is compassionate to us in our failings. Of course, his expectations are greater of a more mature child. I would assume that our father in heaven expects more out of me than he does. Let's say Ryan, who is you've been following the Lord for a year now about. Did you think our father in heaven would have more expectations of me than he would? Ryan? I think so. And yet, He still knows my frame. He knows that I am but dust. He knows my inadequacy. 
And he doesn't kick me to the curb. And he doesn't keep all kinds of condemnation over me. He doesn't do that. He pities me. He has compassion toward me. His mercies are new every morning. Every morning. Is that our Father? Is that our Heavenly Father? Is that the Father you know? Is that the Heavenly Father that you know? That you have a relationship with in Christ? Fathers, do you have this tender affection and compassion for your children? And this is difficult, isn't it? It isn't always easy. It isn't easy for us. Do you recognize that your children are... Well, what are your children? They're children. And, they're, and they start out from nothing to where they're going. And everything has to be taught them. Except you don't have to teach them to lie. You don't have to teach them... You just don't have to teach them to do the wrong things. You have to teach them the right things. But they're children and they're clumsy and they make a mess. And I don't like it. And I don't like the slobber. I don't, I, as a father, it was like, yuck. You know, you're holding them up here and then, whoa, you know, there it comes. Was I wrong in doing that? I probably should have just opened my mouth, right? And just, I love you, child. I love you. And some of you are wired that way. You're just more naturally that way. You don't even, it's kind of like you enjoy, you know, the ketchup being splattered all over. When I sit over there beside children, it's like, okay, <clears throat> what's going to happen now, right? And some of you are more, you kind of almost like you're drawn to that. And I, that's great. It's not me. And so I have to work at it. Some of you may have to more than others. Oh, we should be fathers who see our children for what they are, for who they are. They're learning. They're changing. They're growing. And while you should expect obedience, and you should expect more of older ones than you do younger ones, are your demands upon them unreasonable? Do you factor in their limitations as you deal with your children, regardless of the age? Factor in their limitations according to their age. And you, and you encourage them. You say positive things to them. You pity them. You have compassion. Okay, they tried. They didn't get it right, but they were trying. And the story is told in, in, uh, of, of a father who sitting at the table and they were eating and and they were having tacos and, and you know, a lot of children around the table. And the father tells them, this is how you do it. You fold the taco this way. You make the taco this way. And there was one of the children who kept messing up. And what the children say is that the father blew a cork because his kid couldn't get the taco made right. It's sad to say. That father has regrets over that, even though he doesn't remember it. He has regrets over that. That's not the way you deal with your children, fathers. It's not the way you do it. You pity them. You have compassion upon them. You know what you do? You grab them if they're, unless they're teenagers, but you know, you grab them, you set them in your lap, and you put your hands around theirs, and you make the taco with them, right? And then, and then you let them eat it in your lap and let it, let it, let it, let it fall all over you and you just rejoice that you were able to have compassion on your child and show them something of your heavenly father to them. And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath. Bring them up in the training, the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Colossians 3, 20 and 21. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. 
Dad, we want to do what's right, but we just can't please you. Don't be that kind of father. And I I would assume if you're a believer here today, maybe even if you're not a believer, you don't want to be that kind of father. But I'm telling you, you and some of us more than others are going to have to fight the tendency toward that. Because we are so full of ourselves. We're proud and arrogant. We think we've got it. We, you know, we, we, we got, we know. We got it figured out. And so we don't have compassion. Oh, we need to humble ourselves in relationship to our children. And by the way, that includes even older children and even adult children. So like your heavenly father, help your children along and don't crush them when they fail. Show them your heavenly father. Show them something about your heavenly father. And then he is firm. Our father in heaven is firm. He's not a pushover. He doesn't say it doesn't matter what you do. Just do whatever. He's firm. And he chastens and he corrects his children in love, doesn't he? He does it because he loves them. Proverbs 3, verse 12, for whom the Lord loves, he corrects. It's not love to let your children just get by with everything. Well, you know, I don't want to... It's too much, it's too much energy to correct them. And, and after all, they'll learn. I'll just let them learn on their own. That, that's not love. Fathers, that's not love. They say, well, the wife will take care of that. No, the wife should not have to take care of everything. Fathers, you need to be involved. For whom the Lord loves, He corrects, just as a father the son in whom He delights. Do you delight in your sons and daughters? Do you delight in them? And you know, you know Hebrews twelve five through 7 and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. I was so encouraged when I had a pastoral visit recently and, and one of the sons, older sons in the family, actually said they appreciated the discipline of their parents. It's like breath of fresh air. That's a son who has understood something. And I'll guarantee you that son could probably also say, if he were totally transparent and honest, that his father, mother's discipline wasn't always perfect. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? Our father's love for us involves chastening that guides and recovers us from unruly ways. And I want you to note this. And I hope you'll understand what I'm saying here in this brief point, but it's important. Note that it is love, not flexing authoritative muscle that motivates corrective discipline. And so sometimes we have this this mindset that I've got to show them who's boss. So we do that under the under the heading of establishing authority in the home. And I'm not saying that that's wrong. But if that's that's what's motivating you, you're off. Something's Something's going to be off. Listen, we know God is omnipotent. We know God is sovereign. He doesn't just flex His sovereign muscle, flex His omnipotent muscle, so that we'll be beat down knowing that He's boss, He's in authority, Right? His relationship is one of love. He he draws us with cords of love. He draws us. You see, I I believe that we can place so much attention on authority. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying there isn't that. But we can place so much attention on authority that we lose sight of relationship. We lose sight of the fact that our children are not projects. 
They shouldn't have the sense that we care about them only if they are performing. If the rod is only behavioral modification, that's not love. First Thessalonians chapter two and verse 11, the apostle has this, the apostle Paul has this thought. He's writing to the Thessalonian church about his relationship to them. And he says, as you know, how we exhorted, comforted, and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. Not just flexing his apostolic authority. But the goal of what he did and the goal of what he said, it was as a father to his own children to lead them, to guide them, to actually relate to them in tender affection. He actually speaks of that in the previous verse like a mother. I was among you like a mother with tender affection towards you. So father's relationship requires involvement in your children's lives. Did you hear that? A relationship with them is not about you just establishing what goes in your household. It requires involvement in your children's lives. That takes time. And that's one of the tensions, isn't it? And all of us who are fathers and you are fathers who it, it's, it's, it's difficult. Your children must know that you they must know you. Are, are you hearing this? You, they must know you as more than the breadwinner. Yes, you should be that. You're the provider. They should know you as more than the boss. Yes, there should be that sense of authority and even that sense of fear. That's a good fear, a respect towards you. But, but these are, these can be distant, just sort of distant kind of thoughts. That's who you are. You're out here somewhere. That's, you're, you're an idea to them. But they don't really know you and you don't really know them. There's not a relationship. Be like your heavenly father as you build a relationship through your loving discipline and instruction. You're loving. You're doing what you're doing, seeking to. Seeking to have this relationship with them that's going to lead them from where they are to where they should go. And if they stumble along the way, you don't cut them off and cut them out and put a you know cross in your backyard and say, I'm dead. You're dead to me. You're dead to me. There are folks, who, there, there are fathers and mothers who do that. Firm. Chastening and correcting your children in love. Because you have a relationship with them. Like your Father in Heaven has a relationship with you. You want to model that. As much as lies within you. Well, let me, as we bring this to a close, make one last point of emphasis. And it is this. And maybe some of you don't even need this. But I think that some of you do. The perfect father may have rebellious children. The perfect father may have rebellious children. And a loving, faithful father may have a prodigal son or daughter. But they're still your children and they're still your son and daughter. And don't heap all the blame on yourself. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 2 says this. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children. Who's the perfect father? The one who said, I there. Jehovah, Father. Perfect Father. 
And you would think then if a perfect father is what is needed, then the outcome, you know, input equals outcome. And so if a perfect father is doing perfectly, the outcome should be perfect children. Well, of course, we know we're not perfect fathers, and so we can't depend on that for the outcome. But even if you could be the perfect father, this is what's revealed to us. And please park some of your theological boxes here to receive what Isaiah and what the Lord is saying to us. They have rebelled against me, Jehovah says. I have nourished And I have brought up children, but they have rebelled against me. And so I point this out to encourage fathers from despair. I've been there. I know what it feels like. What could I have done differently? And you know, the the fact of the matter is, and I know that it's, it's possible that even some of my children will hear the things that I'm saying here. And if they were sitting here today, I would feel a little uncomfortable right now because I do not want my children simply to think that I'm thinking of them as some kind of rebels. Even though they have gone a separate way, they've gone a direction that is not honoring to God at all. But I do want sons and daughters here that are listening to me to understand that you can't blame your parents if you walk away from God, if you walk away from what they taught you. You can say all kinds of things. You can point the finger at them. You can say it's their fault if they'd have done this, if they'd have been this way. I'd be different in what I'm saying to you that you have to bear some responsibility, children. You are responsible to respond to the loving care, the leadership, and the, and the instruction of your father. Just like God's children are responsible to respond to Him. Right? So when you err, when you, child of God, have a rebellious streak, when you go off the path, do you blame your Father in heaven for that? No. It's you. And so it is, children, young people, get off this kick of saying it was Dad's fault. Even though Dad may have been full of all kinds of problems, as you grow up, you become an older child, an adult child, you're responsible before God for what you do and what you don't do. Your father is not perfect. And even if you were, it doesn't guarantee your outcome. So fathers, back to you. If you evaluate yourself and find yourself lacking, I would encourage you to confess your faults and ask your heavenly father in the name of his son to give you what you need to move forward. I've done that. I've actually confessed my faults to my children as well. I would encourage you to do that. If if they're real and they're specific. But if it's just a general sense, I haven't been the father I should be. Don't go talk to your children. You don't need to talk to your children about that. But you can talk to your Heavenly Father. Ask Him to help you as you move forward. To be the kind of father that would more clearly resemble Him. And may our children see more and more of God through us. And for any of you who have experienced, if you're still listening to me, if you haven't checked out yet, if if there's any of you who have never experienced the loving care of a human father, I think there are some of you like that. In fact, I think, uh, well, I'm not going to call names, but somebody just recently publicly said something about that. They, They didn't know what it was like to think good thoughts of father because they didn't experience it. And if that's you, I'm going to tell you that in Christ Jesus, you will find, you won't find the example in your earthly father, but you will find revealed in Jesus Christ what true fatherly care is about. You say, in Jesus Christ, I say yes, because he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. He came to reveal in the clearest of terms, in terms as he joined himself with humanity, he came to reveal in ways that we can actually grasp their deep things of God that our minds swirl over and we debate over and we say, well, maybe this and maybe that. But Jesus, God, came in the flesh and in, and in the face of Jesus Christ, we see something that we otherwise could not see. He makes his father known. He's gentle. He's caring, he's firm, he's protective, he's instructive, he's giving, he's sacrificial, and so much more. And that is our 
Father. So I think when we say, be like Christ, we're in a way saying, be like our Father in heaven, right? And we do so by the power of the Spirit that our Father grants to us. In Christ, in Christ in you, in union with Christ, we receive branches from the vine, what we need to bear fruit in every area of life, but as fathers. So, dads, fathers, don't give up. Don't be, don't despair. Don't say, I can't do this. Oh, the reality is you can't, but He can give you what you need. Don't check out. Check back in if you've checked out. Check back in. And do so with the strength that comes from Him. Amen. I hope you'll be encouraged by this. Not overwhelmed, but encouraged to demonstrate something of who your Father, Heavenly Father is in relation to your children. Let's pray.